This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I'm really excited. I've got an entrepreneur. I've got an author of uh, seven books, uh, Mike Michalowicz. How are we doing? I'm doing all right, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. Great to have you. So you're coming just outside of New York City in New Jersey, correct? Yeah. If you take the Lincoln Tunnel out of Manhattan and you just keep going west for about 20 miles, you'll hit me. That's your I mean, deal. I'll be sitting in the middle of the road, just sitting there. You'll hit me. <laughs> Literally, I will hit you. Literally. Yeah. Do you go to the city much right now with everything going on with COVID? Sinfully, no. No. You know, my wife and I used to go in about once a month for dinner or something like that. And the day COVID hit, we're like, yeah, we're, we're done with New York for now. I love yeah. the city, yeah. but it's just, we're, we're going to wait until you can tour around again, hit the restaurants, you know, make right. it into a real day. Yeah. It's sad. It seems like a lot of people are moving away from there. It is a great Yeah. City. Here's what's interesting. So New Jersey, where I am, I mean, this is true for St. Louis too. People are leaving the core of the city and going to all the suburban areas. So the housing demand in New Jersey is skyrocketing, even though- We've been the mass exodus state. Everyone's leaving here to go south or west. Yep. Um, in the last year and a half because of COVID, housing prices have jumped. And we see New York plates all over the place. So, yeah, people are still coming out. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, people are like just getting rid of their houses here. Like the day they say, I want to sell it. It's three you or four thing. offers. Yeah. And- Inventory sits uh, for about a day or two, it seems. Yeah. Well, uh, we could talk about that all day, but uh, you have, like I said, written uh, seven books. You have been an entrepreneur, like lots of businesses, and uh, we love talking to people like you. I call it the entrepreneur ro- uh, roller coaster, and I'm sure you have lived that roller coaster. Yeah. But uh, we'll talk about your new book, Get Different, uh, which yeah. is things you've learned from a marketing side. But Mike, what's what's kind of made you the man you are today when you think about uh, your lifetime and you don't just wake up and write seven books? So what's kind of made you that man? Yeah. So uh, just the quick stories. I, I never aspire to be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, you hear the stories of other entrepreneurs where their parents perhaps were entrepreneurial or they had that paper route when they were a kid. None of that. None of that. You know, I just wanted to get one job for my entire life. And that became my entrepreneurial moment because after school, couldn't get a job. Not a good one. I worked for a computer <laughs> company and uh, my spark into entrepreneurship was actually booze. I went out one night after working in this place for about a year and a half with a colleague. And I was just lamenting working for the boss who I presume sat in the back room counting money and smoking cigars. Right. And I'm like, you know, I work my ass off for this guy. I'm pushing printers and selling all this crap. I'm the person running this little store. I should be owning the business. And, uh, you know, with a few beers and you're like, I'm, I definitely yeah, should be I'm a genius, this. right? Yeah. yeah I'm, this is the best I've ever had. <laughs> I started a business next morning and uh, just kind of ran out of that story. I got married at 23. I had my first son. And then I was starting a business for the first time in my life. Three mouths to feed. I was clueless. And uh, that's how I launched. 
But wow. in retrospect, it was the greatest thing because fear is a great motivator. Like you, you, there is no choice or option for failure. You have to see your way through it. And I struggled. I wasn't good, but I survived. And ultimately became passionate about it and fell in love with entrepreneurship. Yeah. And so what, I mean, you've done different types of businesses, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was in uh, tech services. The first one was computer system integration. And what it was, was just saying of computer networks. And it's because I was, was familiar with. Uh, that was acquired by private equity after eight years. Uh, it wasn't a big transaction, but it was substantial. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you can make money in this field. My second business is where I kind of hit it. Um, I was in computer crime investigation. And uh, when I opened my business, the Enron trial broke six months later. And we got part of the Enron trial. It's called the Nigerian Barge Trial, specifically Kenneth Lay um, and those folks fast out were our clients. We did the defense analysis. This was the, right, this was crazy. I got to call my phone and they said, hey, uh, we need forensic services for our defense. Um, we want you to, to engage your services, but we have one problem. We only have about a budget of $50,000. I was like, 50,000, like that's a lot of money. I said, we can work with that, but they didn't finish your sentence. They said, our budget's only $50,000 a day. Their oh. burn was 50,000 a day for defense. Holy smokes. And I was like, yeah, I was like, um, hold on. Let me talk with the team. Make sure we yeah. can serve you. And I'm sitting there like, I am the team. I, right. Yes, we can serve you. Uh, it put our business on the map. Revenue jumped. Um, we started getting high profile cases. We were acquired by a fortune 500 called Robert Half International. Sure. And, um, and, and, but here's, I think this is the best, most important part of my story. I thought it's hot shit. I was like, oh my God, I got this all figured out. I got the minus touch, you know, yeah. I was born to be an entrepreneur. Third business, this is when the roller coaster starts you know, diving. I became an angel investor because every entrepreneur is the rule. Sure. Once you have some successes, now you're an angel investor. You know, So I start 10 businesses. They all failed. Actually, I invested in one business. The only success was one in St. Louis, Kirkwood. Hmm. And uh, the little manufacturer. But these businesses didn't complement each other. I didn't know the angel space whatsoever. I wiped out all my wealth within two years. And wow. part of it was the angel investing. Part of it was just fat ego. I wanted to own more stuff to show my success. I, honestly, I was a dick. I was just a big dick. I had to show everyone how great I was. And I uh, wiped myself out. Um, my wife, my three children, I sat down with them and said, I, I've lost everything. We actually lost our house. after I met with my kids uh, 30 days later and hit rock bottom. Uh, I never declared bankruptcy or anything like that, like that, but had to start anew. That became an inspiration for me to be an author. What I did was I, I looked at all these things I believed I knew about entrepreneurship and they were wrong. Like that takes money to make money, that sales is everything. Like all these beliefs I had, I started investigating them and saying, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't think these are true. I devoted my life, this is now 15 years ago, to figure out everything I didn't know about entrepreneurship. I got a journal like this thick and I'm about 15 pages in. I got about 200 more I got produced books around. So this is going to be my life's endeavor, I suspect. I love that. So, I mean, one, thanks for sharing the story, right? It's not a lot of people like to say I made it and then I lost it all. You know, it's, yeah, it's not fun to talk about. But so what did you learn from that though? Because it, the circuit of success, we like to talk about success, but I think part of success is also failure. And yeah. so when you when you hear, I lost everything and you say somebody that back to you, what, what was the biggest thing you learned during the dark, dark, dark times? Well, a couple of things. I, in reflection on my old businesses, I didn't, I thought everything was because of my effort. I didn't appreciate luck and matching luck up with, uh, with effort to grasp that luck or opportunity. Like the Enron trial, when, when my company hit it, if Enron didn't happen, 
that was a defining moment for us. And we were in the right place at the right time to grasp it. So there's no question about it. But like, I didn't make that happen. And if I didn't answer the phone that day, that business wouldn't have come in. It was just a lot of things came into alignment. So I, I think I was negating luck and, and thought that was all effort. Um, and the only way I think for myself now to grab luck is to make enough efforts, you know, to try enough times that something hits it. Yeah. I, I got, I'm seven books in. One of my books is really hit. It's called Profit First. And, and that book has just hit it. Uh, my other books have done okay. But honestly, I thought my other books uh, were actually better. I, my other books, I thought were going to be the big ones. I didn't expect Profit First to do what it's done. And it's just, it's a little bit of luck. I, I put enough effort out there that something matched up to a demand that I didn't even see myself. The other thing though, I'll tell you about the darkest period. Uh, one thing I valued is um, I started to redefine what entrepreneurship is for me. I thought workaholism was a good thing. Hustle grind. I think it's total bullshit now. I think it, it really is about balance and I think it is achievable. Um, I didn't think it was. And uh, I, I take that back. I think it is. I think that entrepreneurship is a vehicle for self-expression for it's a platform for enjoyment. And when that stuff comes into alignment, often there's a lot of money that follows behind it, but that's what should be the starting focus, at least for me. And the last thing I discovered too, is this concept of journaling. Like journaling is a guy's term for diary. Like, like having a diary, <laughs> kind of, it's a good thing. So what I did in, in doing this is it's the cheapest form of therapy. Just anything I didn't understand. I was frustrated with, I was angry about, I just started writing it down. And what would happen is when I journal, every time I would just put down thoughts, it doesn't matter about the thoughts I'm putting out there. What matters is now my mind is clear of thinking of that and I can start focusing forward. Those were the key lessons I took. And did you, and I'm, I believe in journaling as well. I mean, if you could see right over here, I've got, you know, six journals full of stuff and then two more in my bag over here. And so I'm a big believer in what I call strategic think time. That's another word for journaling yeah, yeah. or, or uh, you know, di diary, if you will, right? Like, yeah, right? Diary. but what, what, what's that process like for you? I mean, is it just whenever it hits you, you sit down with the journal and do it? Is it, do you schedule it? Like, what's that look like? Yeah, I, I do some schedule stuff, but actually not with a journal. It's just whenever I need an outlet. So if I feel some anxiety, uh, I'll let it out. Um, if I have some positive or optimistic thoughts, if that's the right word or opportunities I see, I write that down too, but it doesn't go in the journal. Um, I have a capture board that anytime something presents itself, I put in this capture board for future consideration. And I'm deliberate about that every morning, every morning from 6 a.m. till 7 a.m. is my thought and writing time. If I'm not writing, I'm evaluating what I've captured and then converting that into some kind of assimilating in some kind of opportunity or something that's actionable. But the journal, that kind of outlet, it's just why I need it. And uh, I haven't needed it recently, but the time will come again. It sits there. It's the, the top of, it sits at the top of my home office desk and uh, it's waiting for me. Yeah. Again, I consider therapy. Before I didn't have it, I would just get more and more frustrated and angry at myself. Uh, it's brought just total clarity, this journal. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, and what do you think about when you hear strategic think time? So for me yesterday, uh, I have it on Wednesdays. Usually it's one to three. Sometimes it's two to four. Just depends yeah. on the day, right? But it, for me, when I see it on the calendar, it's already on the calendar. It's already built in there. We, my team, we build around it. When you hear that, like what, what does that say to you when you when you hear that method? That Oh, I freaking love it. So I... I did research for one of my books called Clockwork and was trying to figure out is why do most entrepreneurs aspire to have a business that runs itself effectively, a cash ATM, um, yet they're doing all the work themselves. Like, What's that disconnect? 
And it's, well, I didn't call it strategic think time, but that's what it was. In fact, in the book, I put, you know, there's a statue dedicated to thinking. It's called the thinker. There's some naked guy there with his, his <laughs> chin a, on his fist. It's a good but there's, point. No, there's, there's no statue by Michelangelo called the doer, like some guy pulling his hair out with a phone, you know, trying yeah. to call someone and, and, and panic to collect money. Like the doer doesn't exist. It's the thinker. And I'm like, the, that, it's always been that important. And so I, I totally believe in it. And, and I do it. Um, mine is a little more maybe fluid in regards to I have certain periods of time where I devote to exercise and relaxation and the thoughts present themselves. So I don't necessarily tell myself I got to just think right now. Yeah. What I do is I just allow myself to disconnect from work completely. And that's when things start popping up on their own. Yep. Yeah, I love that. And, and so to piggyback or to keep going on that, because I think this is important for people is so I do those same things if I'm exercising or if I'm in meditation or I'm driving down the road yeah. to a kid's game and something pops in your mind. What I found is if I can just, you know, hey, Siri, remind me to blah, 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 right? Whatever I'm thinking about, yeah. I know that if I've got the time built in my calendar, then I'll actually think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, one of those things. It. I've got a great idea, right? And then it's like, how many great ideas do we have? We have thousands of them that come at us. But yet, do we ever slow down enough to actually do something and actually think about it? So then yep. maybe we can take a step or maybe we toss it, right? Maybe it's a terrible idea now once I spend time with it. But for me, it's been, gosh, probably 12 to 15 years of doing that. Some of the best ideas I've had have come from that time because I actually slow down to yes. then speed up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, I got a little hack that may serve you. So uh, I, I started exercising regularly about seven, eight years ago, just consistently. I so said, the, the now I'm committing. And, and I found a way to commit that's effective for me. But one of the things I do is run. Uh, and I don't consider myself a runner, but I run because I, I believe there's some benefits to it. Well, when I want to run, you know, to hop on uh, Siri and go, all right, no, it, it doesn't work. I, I found there's a technique, uh, a mnemonic technique, which is kind of cool. Uh, you, you, you or I pick an anchor object. For example, it may be uh, our, we have a little panel next to our garage, which is the garage code. So when I come back from a run, I go to the garage code, punch in the code yeah. to get in that's the mnemonic holding spot. And any thought I have, so say I'm thinking of a, a new idea on marketing. So like my new book is marketing. So I have a new idea on um, a story around marketing of so how someone um, wore a costume in public and how it got attention, something like that. What I'll do is I'll picture that garage code system and sitting on top of it, this costume kind of loosely hanging there. Now, when I come back from my, and then I forget about it. When I get back from my run, I look at the garage code because I look at it every single time and say, what's sitting on this? I'm like, oh, there's the costume sitting there. Oh, the costume story. And then I pull out Siri and record it. So it's been a good mm. hack for me. To yeah, that's great. Well, it's just a, it's just a mind uh, trigger, right? For you. Yeah, it's a mind oh, trigger. That's right. Four miles ago, I thought of that. Yeah. In the past, I'm like, I would start saying, don't forget the costume story. Don't forget the costume story. And I'm like, what, what should I forget? And I forgot. Yeah. The other thing is interesting. Good. Today, I'm taking my first flight in quite a while. I, I typically fly all the time, but uh, I'm flying out from New Jersey to California. And uh, that has been the best strategic thinking time for me. So it's during those flights where I sit down and I, I take all this information that I've accumulated and start assimilating what is relevant and what's not, all that stuff I've captured. So I guess I do it, but it's not, it's not as effectively planned. I like your strategy actually better, but uh, I, I do kind of a similar process. Yeah. So you said the word fear earlier, and I talk about this with tons of business owners and athletes and whoever's on this show. And, and we talk about the fears that we put in our mind, how many of them actually blow up to the magnitude you thought they would? Oh yeah. Like, like 
zero. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think the only fear that's coming ever from, sorry to interrupt, but coming from a guy who's lost everything, you're still saying zero. Oh, it's a good point. Listen. Yeah. Because you know what, when, when those things happen, it's just a, it's a phase on the journey. If, if that moment didn't happen where I lost everything has started a new, uh, I mean, we went, we went ground level. Like we lost our cars and stuff. We bought a beat up Dodge Durango. that was a rust bucket. And a house was granted to us by neighbors who knew our situation. They were heading to Europe. And they said, we were looking for house sitters. You're house sitters here. You're rent free. Thank God. They were amazing. But that was all part of a journey that now has brought me to the other side. What I realized is if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't have a visceral appreciation for the challenges so many entrepreneurs face. So that yeah. is grateful. I think the only real fear that's ever going to happen is, uh, is the termination of life. So there's one day for all of us that it ends. And maybe, maybe we don't even have a fear around that. I, I don't want that to happen anytime soon. So, uh, but that's not a one-time-in-a-life event. I think compared to that, there's really not much else to ultimately fear, I guess. Uh, 100% agree. Hundred percent agree with that. What um, when you think and you hear me say the word success? How how do you define that now in your world? T- today it's way different than it was twenty years ago. So today yeah. it's uh, it's it's being in flow, uh, having clarity on a life's purpose for me, and manifesting it. So I, you can't see it's right here on this wall, but it says uh, to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Uh, mm. it's, a, it's a mantra for me now. Is there's this perception that when you're an entrepreneur, we are wildly successful. And there's this reality for way too many of us that we're struggling, but we don't want to admit that we're struggling because that's not a way to persuade others to buy your offering. So this gap is what I call entrepreneurial poverty. And uh, I want to fix that. To me, success is fulfilling that. And uh, 20 years ago, it was all just about money accumulation. Like It was all about wealth. And uh, listen, I like wealth. Like there's, there's nothing I find wrong with it, but I do find that when I come from a standpoint of, um, of service, that wealth becomes a vehicle to be of greater service, which actually brings more wealth and starts this upward spiral. Yeah. It's about impact, right? I mean, if you only yeah. focus on that and I think, you know, all successful entrepreneurs, I mean, I, I certainly, I think we'd be lying if we didn't say we didn't focus on that, especially early on. You know, I started oh, as a yeah. wealth management advisor at 23 years old. Well, I mean that, you know, this industry is built around thinking about money. That's what we do. We talk about it all day long with people. Right. So it used I mean, to be like a, a chess pounding contest though, for me. And I think a lot of other folks, particularly early on. Absolutely. I, I was in an organization called YEO. It's now called EO entrepreneurs organization. Actually they have a chapter in St. Louis. Yes, they do. Yeah. And, um, great members out there. I, I spent some time with them, but I'll tell you, I go into a chapter meeting at any location it was always, it was mostly guys, but there was women in the group too. And everyone's like this, like, oh, I surpassed my first mill, you know, oh, first mill, that's baby talk. You know, I'm at 5 million. Oh, I'm at 20 million. Like it was all this top line vanity and it, it, it was a dick waving contest. Right. And I was totally into it. I was like, oh my God, look how great I am. And uh, it was demoralizing when you meet someone that was bigger than that was more yeah. successful. And that, that became a trap. It was a total vanity metric. In fact, there's that saying that circulates around the EO network, you know, revenues, vanity, profit, sanity. And, um, after losing everything, I had this wake up call that none of us should be saying, how big is your business? We all should be saying, how healthy is your business? Like the win is health, business, health, mental health, all that stuff. I'm far more impressed by a business that does $500,000 and that business owner is taking home two or 300,000 and living a life they dream, as opposed to someone's making you know, 10 million and they have lawn furniture in their house because they can't afford, uh, to live. It's all about more importantly, their family hates them. 
And they're like, oh, God, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing. You, you can always make more money, but are you, you going to be there for your kid's game? Are you going to be there right. at dinner time? And those are the things that I know for you that are important for me as well, that people listen to this show. That's what's important to them. And I think that's what we try to pull out of successful people every single week on the show is just trying to find those little things that make you successful. So on that, it, you know, if I had a camera crew following you around and they're like, all right, Mike, we're going to follow you sun up to sundown every day for a week. What are the no miss items that you're going to find, or we're going to find that you, that you do every single day without fail? Uh, Business, okay, professional, so, everything. Yeah. So you see me every day, get up at uh, five 30 naturally between five 35, 40. I, don't, I never use an alarm unless I have a specific obligation very early uh, because I go to bed. This is crazy. They'll see me go to bed at eight o'clock every night, not, not turn the lights out, but I'm in my bed at eight o'clock lights out absolutely by nine. The latest I'm a big, it begin to sleep. And do you have children? Uh, yeah, but they're all adult children now. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so it's doable, right? Right. Yeah. 20 years yeah. ago, 15 years ago now. Yeah. So um, that's one thing. The second thing is you'll see at uh, 6 a.m. till 7 a.m. every morning I am writing and I'm doing this with other authors. I think that's one powerful tool maybe you can use as you write your book is doing writing collectively with other people is highly motivating for me. I, I don't miss it. And uh, maybe I, I produce 800 to 1,000 words a day, but 1,000 words a day times 250, I only do in weekdays, days a year, that's that's three books effectively. Now, a lot of stuff is written for garbage, but that's how much I'm producing. And that's what's called off-season. In-season, I start doing about four or 5,000 words a day, which actually I start my next season today. I'm kicking off a, a new book for my publisher. And then... Um, You'll see me from uh, six to seven, seven to eight, always work out every five days a week, every single time, track it with my uh, iWatch. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you'll see me uh, at a huddle every morning at nine o'clock uh, till 9.30. I have two huddles that I participate in for companies. And then, and then you'll see me kind of doing the business day. The business day, generally, I only do two things. I'm the spokesperson for our business, for the books and stuff. So I, I speak a lot. Uh, I, we have a president for our company, so I don't run our operations, uh, but I also write books. So I, I, I speak and write, speak and write. And that's the two things uh, I do. And then you'll, you'll see me uh, at home with having dinner with my family at 530 uh, or six o'clock, uh, pretty much every night when I'm not traveling. Uh, and then weekends, uh, spend time with my best friend, which is my wife. So yeah, that's awesome. That's and what are your eating habits? You doing a good job with that? Not this morning. I had Taylor ham, egg and cheese, a New Jersey <laughs> classic. It is Jersey awesome. Classic. Yeah, I, I do pretty well. I do pretty well. I'm, I'm an oatmeal addict, which uh, okay. maybe actually with the word addict in there, maybe that's not good, but uh, I'd say four or five times a week, I'm firing down oatmeal. Well, there's worse things to be an addict on. than, than Yeah, oh, totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. I don't drink much. I'll tell you, Friday night, I like to make my own myself an old fashioned, uh, fire one down, have a nice beer on the weekend. Yeah. But during the week, I don't drink. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Kind of you, what kind of cherries you use in your old fashioned? Oh, Luxardo's, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Luxardo's like, machine maraschinos. You got to use the best. Is there any other kind of cherry for an old fashioned? No, I actually got a, a, a three pack of their things that came in from Amazon, which shame on Amazon, the packaging, they wrapped it in so much uh, plastic, you know, the, to cushion it. I'm not going to buy from Amazon anymore. I got to find a local store that sells these things. Yeah. And what's the bourbon? Where are you going? Uh, so Woodford is a, is a simple go-to, but uh, Whistlepig, uh, I don't use like something like, Oh, you gotta use old Pappy. That's great. If you're doing straight bourbon, but for a mixed drink, Woodford, there's one a bourbon here in New York called uh, New York. 
baby bourbon, which actually is my favorite, has a hint of almond in it. Huh. But yeah, my wife I like and I have a rule because it, it, the drink is dangerously good. So my wife and I now have a rule. We, we call it the one and done. Like it's so easy to do <laughs> two. And then we said, well, maybe it's two and through. And then yeah, maybe three represents me. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. It's one and done. One yeah, and one and done. done. Yeah, because two, three leads to bad things. It's just oh, by right. three, it's like, this is amazing. Right. No, no, no Seven more cheers. <laughs> um, well, we could talk about that all day as well. So um, when you think about, you know, your failures and your successes and, and all those things, what would you say is if, if I'm driving down the road or exercising today, I'm listening to this. If I could focus on one thing, whether that's marketing, whether that's believing in yourself, whatever it is, right? If you have that one constant theme in your world, what is that for you? I think the most common recurring theme for me and for what I hear from entrepreneurs is, is actually profitability. I think that's why that Profit First is such a popular book. Yeah. So many entrepreneurs are trying to sell their way to profit, hoping that it'll be an event. And I was saying that profit is not an event. Profit is a habit. It's not about selling more. It's about extracting profit from what you have. I think that's a fundamental need for every entrepreneur. It wasn't for me. Now, uh, 12 or 13 years ago is when I implemented it. I've had, let's count it, it was 51 or 52 consecutive quarters of profit distributions. And it's, uh, listen, the first one was nothing. It was like $8. Uh, today, it's, it's more still than $8. Counts. Yeah, it still counts though. But it's grown and grown and grown. And it's been, it's been life altering for me and for entrepreneurs that do it. Um, and I think, I think once you achieve something like that, you start realizing there's so many more things you can achieve through your business. And would you say that, you know, the word hubris, right? When you hear that arrogance, whatever you want to call it, 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 would you say that that's again, not to keep talking about these failures and kicking you when you're down, but when, when you learn from those, would you say that's a big learning you have for now that you just continue to have these quarter after quarter after quarter of growth? Huge. Yeah, that hubris. Well, I just call it, I just became a dick. That's that's right. the best right. way I can find it. Like right. the best word I can find for it. It connects with that more than hubris, right? So he's like, what the hell does that totally, mean? Totally, a total dick. Yeah. Like I, right. and it wasn't like, I don't think I was rude, but I must have been acting that way outwardly. I do know because the inward conversation was like, oh, I'm better than you. And I'd walk down the street, I'm better than you. I wouldn't say that out loud, but in my head, I'm better yeah. than everyone. That's the definition of a dick. I even had the dick trophy, which was a Dodge Viper. Like that's clearly <laughs> a dick. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyone has a Dodge Viper. I'm not trying to bust on them. I, I got rid of my Viper. You know, I, yeah. I did enjoy the car, but it'd be it was, awkward if I had a Dodge Viper, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but today I consider, this is funny, but is now I'm dickless, uh, yeah. which sometimes actually when my wife's pissed at me, that's the exact words she uses. Yeah. <laughs> and um, listen, there's, there's still ego. There's still this compulsion to aspire and compete and to win but I do have this new perspective that's not about defeating. It's not about stepping on others to step up. It's about lifting ourselves together. And I really do feel that. Um, I pray, and I, I think it was divine intervention that I had that collapse, that I never get that ego back and think I'm better than anyone else. I'm, I'm just, we're all contributors and I'm just a contributor. Yeah. Love it. So our firm, Visionary Wealth Advisors, that's, that's my day job, right? That's yeah. what we do. We get to impact people. We get to talk about their goals or dreams or aspirations and help them achieve that. And so our mission uh, is to help people achieve a future greater than their past. So when you hear that, a future greater than your past, what, what, what comes to mind for you? For me, it goes back to life purpose, eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, 
there's a statistic came out that really, to me, was shocking. Uh, U.S. Bank did a study. This is quite a few years back. They identified, uh, first it started in the U.S., then it became a global study. There's 300 million small businesses. As defined by the SBA, that's a company that does $25 million in revenue or less. That's my business. That's a lot of business. And of these companies, 83% are in check-to-check survival. They're, they're, they're in a cash problem. Wow. And so I hope to leave the world where maybe we can flip that. Maybe 83% of businesses are profitable. Maybe the, the few struggle for whatever reason. But the fact that the majority of struggle, even though that's what we're trying to find is profitability, I don't, I'm not going to stand for that. So I'm doing everything to flip those numbers. That's crazy. 83%. Everyone. Yeah. And it's funny. You go into a room, you know, we're talking about EO. That means you go into that room in EO uh, and you say, hey, how's everyone's business going? Everyone's like, oh, it's great. We're crushing it. Right. Actually, almost everyone in there is struggling. That they're in a check-to-check survival. They don't have enough money to pay rent or payroll. And so they'll have to skip something. And it's usually themselves. The owner's like, I can't pay myself again or not pay myself appropriately. Um, it's sad. There's so many businesses that struggle, yet it's hard to admit that because if you say you're struggling, who wants to do business with you? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's where the transparency and vulnerability comes in and building a deeper relationship, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and I would even tell you, take it a step further. Your clients, our clients want us to be profitable because you know we're providing something of value to their life. An extreme uh, example of this, but I think it drives it home, is like a, like a neurosurgeon, brain surgeon. If I needed brain surgery and I went to my brain surgeon and she says, um, hey, we're about to start the surgery. But I got to tell you, I am struggling. I have no money. I am desperate. Sure. I really got to get, we got to haul ass on this one. I'm like, uh, no, thank you. We'll, we'll come out. Yeah, time, well, yeah, I'll find someone else. We would never want our brain surgeon feeling that way because we want their undivided attention. We want their surgical expertise. But that's true for every provider. I don't want my wealth manager saying, I'm really right. struggling here. Yeah. No, I, I want you caring for my money. Yeah. Listen, I, I buy a gumball at a gumball machine. I want it to be a damn good gumball. I don't want the gumball saying guy saying, you know what? We're, we're doing cheap plastic gumballs because I can't afford the real thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're offering. The client wants to be treated as the number one client. And the only way to do that is by being sustainably profitable. So your, your clients do want you to be profitable. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I call it big hat, no cattle. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, right. Texas. And so yeah. it's like, especially in our world, right. You don't want to be, I mean, I'm, I'm totally, I have nice things. I have a nice home. I drive a nice car. Like those things. I, I like those things. Right. But I, yeah. I don't want to have the big hat and no cattle, especially in the industry that we're in. And we're lucky with all of our advisors are successful that they can sit down with people and have conversations and know they're not one deep breath away from, you know, losing their house, Yeah, you know, and that, that's important. And you're right, man. People, you don't want to have the brain surgeon that's, that's, that's not doing well, mentally, physically, financially, anything. Yeah. I, I think one of the traps for me was I wanted good stuff in the past because I thought it meant something to other people. Like it was a, it was a way to show success today. I want good, good things because of the good experience, the ability to share those things, to, to bring joy out of it. And, and even though it could be the same thing, the framing around, at least for me has changed significantly. So talk to us about this new book, Get Different. I know this is about some lessons you've learned in the marketing world, which is critically important. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So I'm a believer in this thing called Oxum's Razor. Uh, this is the concept put that uh, when something is at its most simple form, it's usually the most accurate and most successful. So uh, as an example with Profit First, uh, the lesson of that book is when revenue comes into your firm, immediately take your profit first, hence Profit First, hide that money from your business. And now you're forcing profitability into your business and it changes everything. So it's a really simple rule. 
Well, I applied Oxum's razor to marketing. And what I realized is most marketing goes unnoticed because it's like most marketing. You know, next time you get junk mail, look how quickly you rifle through that. It's, 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 you can tell and distinguish what's garbage and what's, what's valuable to you like in an instant. So how do we make our marketing get noticed? How do we make it compel? Meaning that when someone looks at it and notices that they, they engage with it, and how do we have it um, call action you know, for them to do something? So get different is based upon what I call the dad framework. Does it differentiate? Does it attract? And does it direct? And if you have any marketing piece that you look at of your own or any of your competitions or anything around you, you simply ask yourself, it's kind of cheesy, but does dad approve? It's actually kind of creepy in some scenarios, but does dad approve? And uh, if it differentiates, it attracts and it directs, that's a successful marketing piece. If it fails any one of those three tests, it's not going to work. That's what the book's about. And what was the, what was the last D? Differentiates, attracts, direct. direct, direct. Tell them to do something. And you see these great like uh, Super Bowl ads, for example. They're different. They're funny. That means they're attractive. They're engaging. And at the end, it's like what, what? There's no specific call to action. It's time for our email list. So there's no way for that ad now to engage. Could you imagine a Super Bowl ad says before you stop watching this end watching this commercial, simply go to this page and give us your email or send us a text with your email because we got something more for you. They could get hundreds of thousands of, of engaged audience mm. members or prospects now, but many of these ads just kind of fall flat. It's like, oh, do you remember that funny yeah. ad with that guy? Uh, I don't know who yeah. it was. That's not, that's not perfect. Not <laughs> what they it. do at the Super Bowl. Yeah. So where do our listeners find more of uh, Mike? Where do, we, where do we look you up, man? Okay, so I'm, I'm, hopefully this is a little bit of a dad technique here. Here's where you don't go. Don't go to MikeMichalowitz.com because no one can spell it. Go to Mike Motorbike. Hmm. That's my nickname. Even though I've never had a motorcycle. It's kind of weird. MikeMotorbike.com. It rhymes. And on there, I think you will find the most different author website you've ever seen. You'll have fun experiencing it. And uh, I do have some free tools for you, including all my books. You can get chapters from all my books for free and start exploring that if that's what you want. MikeMotorbike.com. Love it. Good follow on Instagram too. (laughs) Yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah. We'll we'll put all this in the show notes, Mike. Um, And last question for you. I always love this question, but if I give you $10 million and you can't, if you have any debts or you have uh, normal investments you want to do, you can't do that. Okay. We got to go out and have some fun or make an impact. What, what are you doing with the $10 million check you get today? I would probably launch an incubator. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'd probably get a facility to, to incubate small businesses. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Plus yeah. I would take a hundred grand. We'd have a Pretty kick-ass party too with some old fashions. <laughs> with a bunch of old fashions with the yeah. best cherries in town, right? Damn straight. You know, what I love though is is talking to people. Is it's when I first thought of that question years ago, I thought, well, maybe they'll talk about this great vacation spot and and we'll talk about whatever. And, and it is amazing that none of us talk about, you know, you didn't go buy that beach house. You're literally making oh, yeah. an impact and an incubator where new businesses, young businesses can come, learn from each other, invest in each other. And grow up and get out, right? And go be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I guess, yeah. That to me, that feels so compelling. It feels so much of service. But honestly, it's the root of joy. Like just to see businesses grow, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Mike, it's been awesome having you on the Circuit of Success, man. Really enjoyed the time. Right. And uh, every every week, we bring you the best tips and tools to help you and your uh, and your family and your business 
uh, along the journey of life. So tune in every week. If you can hit subscribe, whether it's on YouTube or on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that. That allows us to make a bigger impact and get guys like Mike on the show who can give a great message. So Mike, thanks a lot for being here and we really appreciate the time. Thank you, brother. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.